A slightly different How to Be 60 podcast this week. Menopause specialist Dr. Louise Newson is with us to answer your questions. She is passionate about women's health. And if anyone asks her why, this is what she says. Do you think men would suffer like this? If we said to men, there's a condition that you're going to have, that you're all going to go through at some stage, you'll probably get brain fog and memory problems, you might feel more anxious and low, you might really struggle at work. In fact, about 10% of you will just give up work because of this condition. You will just go off sex. And if you do have sex, it's going to be really painful and your penis will shrivel up at the same time. But we've got treatment. It's really cost effective and it will reduce your risk of diseases. But only about 10, 14% of you can have it. Is that okay? What would they say? Welcome all to this week's How To Be 60 podcast with me, Kay Adams and her, Karen McKenzie. I don't know why I'm laughing, I tell you, because this one is in a foul mood. She's got a tiny bit of a cold and oh my God, oh, listen to her, she's been an absolute martyr. You really, really are. I'm here today, Kay. Oh, it's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, it's a bit of a different podcast this week because we're yes. joined by menopause specialist Dr. Louise Newson, founder of the Balance app, probably the only app that you've ever got your head around. I'm sure many people are familiar with yes. that. And uh, we asked you to send in any of your questions and we got so many questions, yes. which um, Louise is happy to answer. So probably top of the list is HRT. Indeed. It, it kind of really is be, in yeah. part of this conversation now um specifically we're getting a lot of questions about does there come a time that is too late mm-hmm. to start hrt which kind of really fits in with our experience isn't it because yep. when yep. when did you go on hrt about six months ago right yeah so yes. you would be 61 Oh, that's very kind of you, Kay. Well, I'm 63 just now. So 62? <laughs> Stop it. Lordy, lordy. Okay. I know, and don't I look so much younger than you? It's amazing, quite amazing. But there we are. Let's just carry on. That's probably my age. blushes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so six months now. Run us by again why you decided to do that. The reason that I went, I think there's somebody else speaking about it, that I listened in their conversation and then thought, oh, actually... I don't sleep well at night. Oh, I've got brain fog. Oh, I've got joint pains. And so it continues. And I thought, well, I'm just going to go along to the doctor and see. So I went along and I was put on patches and oestrogen pill every night. Uh, Would that be right? No, progesterone pill every night, sorry. I'm glad to see you're across your medication. I am. (laughs) My biggest problem is getting the... Do you want me to tell you your biggest problem? No, uh-huh. you. I know it's you. We all know it's you. <laughs> it's when you peel off the patch, you're getting the sticky stuff off from your backside. Oh, my God. Anyway, that's not my biggest problem. But no, you know it's I mean. not. It's it not. is a problem. Has it made a difference? Honest to God, I'm not sure. I think I thought it was too late to go on HRT at the age of 63. Never occurred to me before to go on. Mm. I think my doctor wasn't that sure how effective it would be, but we both decided to, yeah, to try it did out. Did they discuss risks with you? Oh, yes, she did. She was very good, actually. She did discuss risks. And how did you feel about that? I'm a bit blasé and thought, you know what, I'm going to go for it anyway. Mm, yeah. See, it was the risk that really, um, I mean, I, I did go on it uh, two years ago. And it's really interesting that you say, when I asked you, has it made a difference? 
kind of difficult to tell. And I mean, that's where I am with it now. I've probably been on HRT for two years. And because you get used to a new normal, it's very difficult to know whether this is actually enhancing your life. And it is a medication at the end of the day. So, I mean, I feel good right now. Would I feel equally good not on HRT? I mean, I guess I don't know that. And there's a bit of me, and I'll be interested to see what Louise thinks about this, that is wondering whether I should come off it for six months and see if I see a difference. Mm. Have you ever had your medication reviewed? Uh, yeah, no, no, I do. I probably go for an annual review, and that's one of the questions that. Uh, and it hasn't has been changed. In. No, slightly up to the gel. So I have a gel, and a tablet, mm-hmm. and then vaginal estrogen, which we are also going to talk about because that one doesn't get discussed as much. Um, so I, I think we should discuss that. But how was your menopause? I mean, because you eat well, you don't drink that much, you you know, you don't smoke, you're fit. A bit like myself. I mean, you're like miserable, myself. but then you know. A bit like you is what I meant to say. I thought I went through okay. But yeah. as we both know to MK, we worked together in a team yeah. and you were going through it. <laughs> Cheeky bitch. I think I'm sunny natured. I just think you've got confused with somebody else. I'm saying nothing. And but when I think back to the time that I was probably just over 50, I had just moved house. And I do remember having this hellish, shouting, awful time with Alex. And I think, I wonder if that was, yeah, my daughter. I wonder if I was just a horrible person, (laughs) still am. Or was that anything to do with that? Oh, and I remember my mother going through the the menopause and, God, the the windows were wide open. She'd go out of the house, walk around, she'd get the hot sweats on. Nothing was ever discussed about the menopause mm. and nothing I don't think was available. And, and now maybe I'm reviewing her personality that maybe some of that was down to the menopause yeah. as well. It is interesting when you go back, isn't I it? Know. I mean, I think of some of the mental health problems that have been in earlier generations of my family on like the maternal side. And you start to think, well, actually, were they God. menopause related and they were just totally undiagnosed? I, I mean, you, you can't you can't go back. I mean. I think I had a pretty easy time. I mean, I was a menopause denier, as Nadia Sawala loves to tell me, <laughs> because I, I, you know, to be perfectly honest, I associated it with age. I had a negative association with it, and I, I didn't particularly want to tell the world that I was menopausal. I mean, I feel a bit ashamed of that now, but that's true. So you were aware of things going on and changes you were go- that was going on with you, but you just didn't want to. Well, I knew by age my period had stopped. So I'm, yeah, you got you got to admit you're menopausal when your period stopped. But um, I'm talking about mood swings or narkiness or no. I mean, genuinely, I know you'll laugh. I don't think I was narky, but I will say there was a period in my life. It was five months. I remember it distinctly. And I've never experienced true depression in my life. I know I haven't uh, because I've had enough friends who Mm -hmm. have. But for those five months, it was as bleak as hell. I could have won the lottery. Rad Pitt could have been dancing naked in front of me. I could have been offered every job in television and I would have gone, yeah, all right. I mean, I just, uh, and it was the most horrible, And you can't put that down. Horrible feeling. You couldn't put that down to anything. No, it was not, my life was going well, but it was just awful. And I remember, I've said this before, but I'll never forget it. I was going on holiday with Ian and the kids. We were going to LA. It was a great holiday. Mm -hmm. I was so excited, blah, blah, blah. And I was in uh, the disabled loo at Heathrow. Apologies for that. Um, And I didn't want to get on the plane. 
I did not want to get on the plane. I wanted to go home. I wanted to go to bed and I wanted to stay under the duvet. And that has just never been me. And did you talk to anyone about this at the time? No. No. Your mates? No. I I, I spent two weeks going around Disney World with a big smile placid over my face, wishing I could chuck myself off the little teacups. Um, But I did come out of it. Um, Anyway, I'm sure Dr. Louise Newsom will give us some clarity after this. Hi, Louise. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me today. Not at all. Did that, um, us wittering away, was a very familiar story to you? Yeah, really familiar. And what's really familiar is that so many people don't think that they have any symptoms or they don't think HRT is working for them. And I think a lot of it is because there's this misconception that we all have to be feeling really bad and have loads of symptoms and we have to really be really, really struggling before we can consider treatment with HRT in a way that you wouldn't suffer or experience symptoms for anything else. There's some, something about this badge of honour if you don't take HRT that's that's carried on for the last 20 years, actually, and it's still carrying on now. So I was feeling a bit frustrated when I was listening to you talk. I, I, you know, it's funny you said I'd never thought of it that way, but I probably did feel quite proud of myself that I gone through the menopause without HRT. I, I, it I, is. I yes. And, yes. And, I, I, and I don't even remember if I've, I don't know, how long ago was it? Two or three years ago, I spoke to you all the reasons why you should consider HRT. Yeah. And you told me all the reasons that you weren't going to take it. And, you know, I'm obviously not your clinician. I've never prescribed you HRT, but I can see over the time, I can even probably tell you the day that you started HRT because visually you've changed, but also... The way you talk, the way you are, the way you hold yourself is very different. Um, and even, I know this sounds a bit cheesy, your, your skin looks different. And you I could haven't say, had anything done, I promise. No, but. no. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of pushback at the minute. There's a lot of pushback in the work I do, but there's people saying people take HRT for lifestyle and they want because they want nice skin and hair. And, and I think this is part of a bigger picture and a bigger conversation that hopefully will develop with us. In that the skin is a is an organ. It's the biggest organ in our body. And actually, if our skin looks better, think about our livers, think about our lungs, think about our hearts, because that's just other organs that we can't see. So our skin is better, not because we're putting different expensive moisturizer on or we're having various tweakments or whatever they're called. It's because internally we've got better blood flow to our skin, we've got more collagen, we've got less inflammation going on we've got less thinness of the skin which is is important but it's more important for me as a physician thinking inside internally and this is where thinking about treating the menopause to improve your future health is so important so symptoms is only part of the menopause but that's such an interesting way of putting it because you're right and and I was I fell into that Uh, there's no doubt thinking this is Overindulgent middle class women who mm. want glossy hair and nice skin, mm. and that's that's what a lot of clinicians still see. We've got this Davina effect going on. There's a lot of clinicians that are really vocally, actually, quite cross with me because I'm creating work for them because people keep coming and saying, "I'd like HRT, I'd like HRT." What they should be saying is, "I would like to have treatment that's recommended in nice guidance." I would also like to improve my future health and I would like to reduce my risk of disease. Can you give me a dirt cheap treatment that will do that and mean that I will be less likely to come to you over the next future months, years and decades? Then saying, 
oh, actually, we have got HRT. That would be a completely different consultation. And this is where we have to allow ourselves as menopausal women to think about the menopause in, in a very different way. You know, mm. it's also looking at what are the risks of not taking HRT, which spins it on its head because for the last 20 years, it's all been about the risks of HRT. And it was interesting, even when you spoke to each other, did your doctor tell you about the risks? Actually, did your doctor tell you about the benefits? Because that's really important as well. And it's the same mm. with any treatment. If if I'm going to prescribe an antidepressant to somebody, I've got to explain about the benefits and also the potential risks. Mm. And that's anything. If I was a surgeon and I'm consenting you for an operation, I would be duty-bound to tell you, obviously, about potential risks, but also the benefits of having that, that operation as well. And I think with HRT, it's always about risks, you know, and it's always about not allowing women to have the right type or dose of HRT, there's now a big comeback, there's a big pushing about we shouldn't be prescribing higher doses of estrogen. And that's because it's scared, everyone's scared about risks. No one's scared about these women that are really struggling to to, to, to live or, or also the women that are in increased risk of diseases, including heart disease and diabetes and dementia. You know. So do you think every menopausal woman should automatically be put on HRT? No, I'm not saying that. I think every menopausal woman should be given a choice. And I think every woman who wants HRT should be allowed it. Whether that's 10% or 90%, I don't know. I also think every woman should know about the benefits as well as the risks. And I think every consenting adult should be able to have a informed decision-making consultation with a healthcare professional that understands the benefits and risks and make the decision that's right for them. But then... <laughs> My, I don't mean my problem with that, but my concern about that is that we have so many mixed messages about mm. what the benefits and the risks are. Mm -hmm. You know, some within the medical profession would think that the, the risks very much outweigh uh, the benefits. You get contrasting and conflicting views yeah. from people who are supposed to know within the medical profession. So, you know, as just a lay person, just mm. as a, a woman, do I trust this doctor? Do I trust that doctor? I know. Yeah. How much do they know? Yeah. That's really, really difficult. And I think this is where we have to really look at the evidence and unpick the evidence. And I certainly know there's a lot of people who think, oh, who's she? She's just running a private clinic. Actually, I'm a pathologist and I'm also a physician and I have a very academic mind. And I have read lots of basic science. I've read the evidence. Um, and that's where a lot of people haven't. And so we've also got good guidelines as well. Even when I was at a European Menopause Society conference a couple of weeks ago presenting some of our, uh, our work, you know, everyone's in agreement that HRT is safe. Everyone is in agreement that the longer a woman is without hormones, the greater the future risk of diseases are. We know that from facts. We also know, even from the studies that have scared us away from HRT, that there are benefits for our heart and for our bones and our well-being. And as a physician, I do have a responsibility and a duty of care to improve health and, in, and reduce suffering from women as well. So even if there were no benefits or risks to future health, there are benefits for allowing people to feel better in the same way that if you had a sore tooth or a headache, I would feel quite obliged to give you a paracetamol from my handbag because I don't like suffering. And so even if it was just to improve women feeling better, is that a bad thing that women are allowed to feel better? You know, I don't think it is, but actually we do know that 
estrogen and testosterone are biologically active hormones in our bodies. They have very good anti-inflammatory roles and reduce the risk of disease. So this whole conversation about allowing women to have something that's beneficial to their body, looking at even the NICE guidance at seven years old, they're quite conservative with some of the evidence, but they're still saying for most women, you know, HRT is safe. It can reduce the risk of a fragility fracture. And, you know, one in three women will have an osteoporotic hip fracture. One in two will have osteoporosis. Now, that's really important, actually. So why are we not talking about that and allowing women to be part of this conversation? Hmm. Well, so I want to pick up more on that, but can we go through some of the, we, we asked people if they had questions and we have got lots and talking about lots of the different symptoms, lots of sex, uh, sex, loss of sex drive, weight gain, face flushing, hair loss, skin problems, you know, everything hmm. is, is in there. Um, but this kind of starting point, I think, and we've got lots of people just asking the same question in a different way, which is when is the menopause over and and just to read out a couple ali says i'm 62 this week when will this end sweats aches that make me think i've got some horrendous illness and not wanting to bother the doctor with all this what if i have something worse and i'm blaming everything on the menopause which i think is is an interesting take cal saying um hrt was stopped after 12 years hot flushes and night sweats returned full throttle how long will these continue for? Is there any supplement that will help? Currently taking Dr. Vegan and Sage with little relief, um, if any. And, and just one more from Dee, who says, I'm two years post-menopause. So interesting that Dee mm-hmm. sees herself as post-menopause. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything seems to be coming to a head. Joint pain, weight gain, bloated abdomen, I look pregnant, low mood. Would a GP be the best um, option or a specific menopause service and d says i feel that i've aged 10 years instead of two. Oh god yeah so when does it stop when is well, it over <laughs> this is where i think it'd be worth taking a step back if i may and just explain you know what what is the menopause because there's this post-menopause perimenopause pre-menopause menopause when you break down the word it just means stop of periods and it's a very weird diagnosis because you have to have a year without your periods I can't think of anything else in medicine where I have to turn patients back away and say no we can't diagnose you yet we've got to wait a whole year for your periods to stop and traditionally menopause has been defined by periods or fertility now actually I don't give a fly monkeys about my periods because you know they, they I've had a hysterectomy I'm not going to have periods and actually, I don't really care about fertility because I'm in my early 50s. And you know, with a, with a hysterectomy, I will never get pregnant, of course. So how do I define whether I'm menopausal or not? And that's the whole concept. But actually, what we need to do is think about it as our hormones that have stopped being produced by our ovaries because we're older or because our ovaries have been removed if we're younger or they've been damaged or they just fail earlier. So it can happen at any time, this time when our, our ovaries don't work as well and our hormones are reduced. But actually, once our hormone levels are low, they are low forever, whether we have symptoms or not. So the menopause is not just a collection of symptoms, which some people think. And if you look back in history, when they actually discovered some of the hormones, and hormones are just chemical messages that get a message from one cell to another cell in a different area of the body. They're transmitted through the bloodstream um, to us. So if we want a hormone to go from our ovary, it might go up to our brain to help with our memory or our learning or our mood, for example. But when they discovered 
uh, thyroxine, they they associated with the disease hypothyroidism. When they discovered insulin, they associated lack of it with the disease, obviously diabetes. When they discovered estrogen, they associated it with hot flushes, not a disease, not a condition, just hot flushes. So in you know history of time, menopause has been about hot flushes, and more recently it seems to be about vaginal dryness. But actually, we know even from the Balance app, the free app that we you mentioned, most common symptoms are memory problems and anxiety, low mood, poor sleep. Yes, of course, people can get hot flushes, but that's not the top one because it's the lack of hormones in our brains that often have the biggest biggest impact. Um, so we need to be thinking about it more than just a collection of symptoms. So when people say I'm postmenopausal, yes, you've gone past that day, which was a year after your last period, but no one can be through the menopause because whether you have symptoms or not, you'll still have low hormones and symptoms can change with time. A lot of people, what they're saying when they say that is my hot flushes and night sweats have gone. And for some women, that could be two years, some t- women, it could be 20 years. Some women, it carries on. We all change. But when you speak to some of these women and say, oh, no, I'm through the menopause, I'm absolutely fine. And then if I say, so what's your sleep <laughs> like? Oh, well, it's rubbish. Do you get any muscle or joint pains? Oh, yeah, getting out of bed is real, really awful. What about your urinary symptoms? Oh, no, I get up three or four times, have a wee at night, and I can't cough or sneeze because I have a bit of a leak. Um, what's your motivation? Oh, no, I'm a bit tired, but I'm 60 now, so I am going to be that. Well, all those probably are menopausal symptoms, but they're not thinking about them as related to the menopause. So no one is through it. You know, the day that we die is the day that our menopause ends with us. Wow, wow. So can it, can going on HRT still be as effective at the age of 63 as it is at 53? Yes, very interesting question. And we've always um, had guidelines that have been superseded, but in the past saying that we shouldn't start HRT to older women. And we can start HRT in older women because we have different types of HRT now. In the old days, when the WHI, the Women's Health Initiative Study, came out 20 years ago that scared everyone away from HRT, they were giving tablet estrogen that was actually derived from pregnant horse's urine, which we don't prescribe now, you'll be pleased to know, and also a tablet type of progesterone, a synthetic progesterone it's called, which actually has a small risk of clot and a small risk of heart disease with it. And it was shown to have this small risk of breast cancer, but not statistically significant. Tablet estrogen has a small risk of clot as well. All these risks are small, but as we age, our risk of clot, our risk of heart disease increases because it's part of the, you know, as we get older, lots of diseases increase. So people have been more concerned about starting HRT in older women. The WHI study showed that starting HRT in women over the age of 60 who had some heart disease increased their risk of a heart attack. And this is where people get scared about HRT and heart attacks. But actually, giving HRT through the skin, as you say, the patch or the gel, it goes straight into the bloodstream. So there's no risk of clot. If we give, you know, you were saying you take the progesterone tablet at night, it's probably the natural micronized progesterone, Eutrogestin, it's called in the UK. That has no risk of clot with it as well. So therefore, you are not increasing the risk of clot. Estrogen is very anti-inflammatory on the lining of the blood vessel, so it lowers risk of heart disease. So we can start people on HRT. We don't have a solid evidence, but lack of evidence is, is rife in all sorts of things we do. But we have a lot of clinical experience and knowledge. 
and basic science knowledge to show us that hormones are likely to still be very safe. The oldest person in our clinic who started HRT was 90. For her 90th birthday, she treated herself to a consultation. Oh, wow. wow. And, then, and then about two months later, she went the clinic and said, when can I start testosterone? You know, so, and but the other thing to remember with this conversation about HRT is that HRT is three letters, hormone replacement therapy, but it's not really therapy. Sounds like you have to, you know, it's a big going to a psychiatrist or something. It's just hormone support treatment. It's just natural hormones that we're giving. And um, it's completely reversible. So if you both stopped your HRT, if I whipped off my patches tomorrow, I'd soon know about it because I know my joint pains would get worse. But I'm in control of it. So if I was taking HRT for three months and felt no different, we'll stop it and see or change the dose or type. So it's not like something you've got to write a life sentence for. Most women mm. do take it forever. But, you know, I think this is where we forget that women are allowed to make choices and women are also allowed to change their mind. So there are some women that five years ago would have said, I'm never touching HRT because I've heard how dangerous and the risk of breast cancer, what have you. Five years later, they're now saying, right, I've read there's an increased risk of um, osteoporosis if I don't take HRT. You know, my mother's got osteoporosis of the spine. I don't want that. So I'm going to choose as a consenting adult to try it. So I think this is a narrative that we have to have. And I think, you know, medical establishment, people in general, people in higher places are scared of women who want to make choice. Mm. But tough, really, it's happening. Let, let me read out just some of these uh, messages that we had, which, which again, are kind of saying the same thing about when to start. But, uh, you know, it's interesting just to see what people out there are thinking. Dorothy, I'm coming up 65. I muddled my way through the menopause because I was scared of HRT. Uh, the only lasting problem that I'm left with is trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep. I've tried all the usual remedies, but I'm still having problems. Would HRT help me? Amanda, is it safe and beneficial to start HRT post-menopause? Are you ever too old? Uh, Suze is asking the same thing. Can you get some health benefit from using it for the first time, age 60 plus? Uh, Sarah wants to know if there's anything for her mum, who is 70. Can she start hormones at any age? Uh, Josie thinking the same. And this one from Lynn, who says, I'm 61. I've been through the menopause fairly easily, I think. I did have a few hot flushes and felt anxious at times. I still do. Uh, I can still get a very hot feeling, but not really flushes. I do have a very dry mouth and tongue a lot of the time, and it's very uncomfortable. I still can feel very anxious and let little things get on top of me. I have brain fog a lot. Isn't this funny that Lynn started this with I've been through the menopause fairly easily. Um, I've never been on HRT and I've often wondered if I would benefit from it. Am I too old to start it? What type would I take? There are so many. Or is this life after menopause and I just get on with being healthy, which I am. I've got a wonderful, beautiful family and a partner. Um, I do 30 minutes uh, rowing exercise every day. I eat as best as I can and I'm a good weight. Is this just like post-menopause? God. Bad, isn't it? Do you think men would suffer like this? <laughs> you know, if we if we said to men, there's a condition that you're going to have that you're all going to go through at some stage, you'll probably get brain fog and memory problems. You might feel more anxious and low. You might really struggle at work. In fact, about 10% of you will just give up work because of this condition. You will just go off sex. And if you do have sex, it's going to be really painful and your oh. penis will shrivel up at the same time. But we've got treatment. It's really cost effective and it will reduce your risk of diseases. But only about 10, 14 percent of you can have it. Is that OK? What wow. would they say? 
Well, I mean, I suppose if you think of erectile dysfunction, um, we've got Viagra, don't we? I don't know what the percentage of uptake is, but I mean, we don't have this angst-ridden debate about it, do we? Um, I mean, is there, if if guys choose to, to use it, um, it's crack on me, isn't it? Totally. And, you know, Viagra has more risks than ART, yet we can buy it over the counter. Um, Does it? And yeah, 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 because you can't have it if you've got heart disease, you know, but but Viagra is actually also really safe. You know, yeah, it's it's um, you know, it's very interesting Viagra because, as you know, it was it was tested for heart disease actually for trying to reduce heart disease, and when they gave it to men in studies, they all were getting erections and wasn't that great. So it's obviously pivoted and changed. But but actually, low, low dose Viagra can be very good at helping reduce our risk of heart disease um, with very few side effects and risks. So it, it's another of these forgotten. Um, treatments in the same way that HRT is forgotten because it's dirt cheap. Pharma aren't interested. There's no one doing amazing studies because doing research in women's health has just been forgotten. So we're just sort of put on the um, on the side, aren't we? As menopausal women, we're either a butt of jokes or we just need to get on with it. But why? Why do we need to get on with it? Why can't we be the best version of ourselves? And so many women I speak to are trying their hardest with diet and exercise and they're spending a fortune on supplements and they're setting themselves up to fail sadly you know there are some women who are fine they they don't bat an eyelid and we always read people on twitter who feel that they're rejuvenated and they feel so liberated without their hormones well that's fine but we know the majority of women suffer but the minority of women receive treatment just a little tangent how did you get into this why are you so passionate about this (laughs) Well, I think it's because of my pathology background that I'm very interested in basic science. And I'm also, I've I've written, I've worked as a medical writer for 25 years. And I suppose I have a skill of translating difficult medical or complicated science into basic facts, you know, words of, you know, two syllables, short sentences for people to understand. And I think my, my tool as a clinician is trying to help as many people as possible. But I've, there's not also... there's not many things in medicine that you can really make a difference. You know, having been a clinician for many years and a GP for 20 years as well, you sit there and you think, actually, I can't change these people. I really can't help them. I could maybe give them a bit of this, bit of that. When you see a menopausal woman, I'm sort of 99% sure that I can help, maybe not completely, but I can really help the quality of their life and I can improve their future health. It's a very powerful rewarding feeling to to be able to do so much actually with so little but then I suppose when I had my own perimenopause I had months without realizing what was going on I thought it was because I was working too hard on my menopause clinic and my menopause website well even you didn't spot the signs it was awful but honestly looking back I was 45 seven years ago I was 45 then seven years ago no one was talking about the menopause and I just wanted to do a clinic one day a week to help some of my friends get off antidepressants and I started writing as because of being a medical writer I started writing some information on a website what is the menopause what is HRT what is testosterone I kept saying to my husband, God, I'm so tired. I just feel like I've been drugged. I want to go to bed. <sighs> like, oh, he said, you look awful. So I thanks, Paul. Go to bed. And then I'd wake up at three, four in the morning with night sweats, dripping, dripping sweat, and look at my husband and think, oh, I've got to get a towel out of the air and cupboard. I can't, you know, change the sheets because I wake him up. And and everything was just too much. I was very emotionally labile. I couldn't um I was just very short-tempered. I was shouting at my children. My husband was really, really annoying me. And then I was going to work and thinking, 
I can't remember what that patient just told me. I can't even remember what question to ask. I can't remember which drug drug to prescribe. And it's really scary if your brain doesn't work. And I do quite a lot of yoga. My joints and muscles were really stiff. And I just was turning into some miserable middle-aged woman. Um, Didn't even think about all the symptoms that were clearly perimenopausal. And and then my daughter, who was about 12 at the time, just said to me, Mama, you are so cross and irritable. Do you think you might need your period? Because you're a bit like some of my friends before their periods. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, Sophie, I haven't had a period for months. Of course, all these symptoms That's due to my hormones. But then I suppose the crooks came because I could not get HRT for my GP because it was too risky. So then I had to go privately, and there was a long wait at the time to, to see the person I wanted. And I thought, this is awful. I am a white, middle-class, educated doctor who's a menopause specialist and I can't get the treatment I want. I didn't absorb the patches very well, so my consultant doubled my patch to make it help the absorption. It transforms my life and being on testosterone, I can think, I can sleep, I can function, I can love my family, I adore my husband, I can work all hours. But why am I so privileged to be able to get my own hormone back and others can't? It's wrong. And so I spend a lot of my time thinking, how can I reach women who will never come to my clinic, who I'll never financially get money from, but I will enhance and improve their lives by them having the knowledge. So hence the Balance app. We do a lot of outreach work with different communities. Last weekend, uh, two of my staff were doing a workshop for women who've had FGM, because I can't imagine if you've been cut and then you're menopausal. Like, what, what happens? These poor ladies have got no one to talk to. So this constantly, and it's because I suppose I've come from an area of, of privilege, but it's not privilege because I wasn't privileged enough to get my own hormones back age 45. But without it, I wouldn't be working as a doctor. I wouldn't be married. I wouldn't be happy. And that's not fair because I hear stories all the time of women who aren't working, who aren't married, who aren't happy because no one will give them hormones. It's interesting because, I mean, a, a bit of me wanted to say, and did you worry about it? Did you worry about the risks? But you know, to, to sort of contradict myself, the risks for you were that your marriage was going to split mm. up, that your you, your career was going to suffer, that your mental health was going to take mm. a, a deep dive. Um, and so when we're talking about risks, and of course it is breast cancer is up there, or cancer that people fear, I mean, we do fear that in our lives, don't we? But at what cost on the other side of it? Yeah, and I think I think the other thing is this risk has been sensationalised beyond belief. The risk of breast cancer with body identical HRT that we prescribe has never been shown. If you look at the worst study with the worst type of HRT, the risk of breast cancer is still very low. There are some studies that show the risk of breast cancer with antidepressants is actually slightly higher than with HRT. It's not good data, but we haven't got good data. It's not good studies that we've got with with HRT either. Now there's this thing about an increased dose of estrogen could increase risk of endometrial cancer, lining of the womb cancer. Well, we know that the biggest risk factor for lining of the womb cancer and all types of cancer is obesity, actually. And we know that women who take HRT are less likely to have obesity. So we've got to, to... put things into consideration but you know what if someone said to me you're guaranteed to get h sorry you're guaranteed to get breast cancer in 20 years time because of your hrt use i would still take it because actually as well as having a job and everything else i'm really scared about osteoporosis i've seen and doctored enough women with osteoporosis of their spine and seen the quality of life that they have in their nursing homes 
So I'm making a choice. We have a risk in anything we do. I would never drive my car if I was worried about risk, you know? So I think as women, it's almost like we're defined by our risks, you know? And um, I do, I'm sure you've seen something in the mail on Sunday about my clinic and there was a lady who'd had cancer of the lining of the womb. Well, yes, that's one lady. We've had five cancers of the lining of the womb and I've got 35,000 patients. That's less than background risk. There'll also be some people that will fall over and break their leg or have a car crash who are my patients. I haven't caused that. Mm -hmm. So we need to sort of get over this whole, what are we doing with women by giving them hormones? It's mm -hmm. like, well, we're making people feel better and improving a lot of their mm. health, actually. <laughs> well, on that, can I play you a, vo a voice note? And this is Elaine who got in touch with us. Hi, Kay and Karen. I've never done anything like this before, but um, here goes. When I was 40, I was diagnosed with an aggressive breast cancer and also with the gene that causes breast and ovarian cancer. I had a double mastectomy, a total hysterectomy, chemotherapy and radiotherapy, and um, then immediately followed 15 years of uh, terrible menopausal symptoms like um, insomnia, anxiety, heart palpitations and um, zero sex drive. I tried lots of complementary therapies. Um, I'm fit, I eat healthy, but I was repeatedly told that I wouldn't be able to take HRT. And then three years ago, something happened to change everything. My younger sister died from ovarian cancer. And instead of making me more worried about HRT, I suddenly realised how short and precious life is. And so I started to do some research and I actually listened to um, Nadia Sawala talking about Dr Louise. So I got in touch and after quite a long wait, I, um, I went to her clinic and uh, started taking HRT. It's been a two-year road, but it's truly been life-changing for me. After so many years, more than 15 years, I, I feel amazing. And to have a sex drive again after so many years has been such a reawakening. I can't believe I suffered for so long. I really would like you to pass my story on to Dr Louise and anyone else that you think might benefit from it. Hi, oh, cool. Um, And I guess, Louise, that kind of points up what you're saying in that Elaine has made a choice. Yeah, and, you know, the other thing that drives me is the stories that we hear in the clinic every day. And it's lovely hearing these stories, but it's sad that these women are suffering for so long and they come with such sad stories that you would not believe are happening to women. And... What's also really sad is there are a lot of women who are denied HRT for the wrong reasons. We know that women who have an increased family history or they have a family history risk of breast cancer or ovarian cancer, they can still usually take HRT. They have an increased risk of breast or ovarian cancer because of their genetic risk, not because of taking HRT. And some studies have shown that women have a lower risk of breast cancer if they have a BRCA gene and take HRT. So she's probably been denied it for the wrong reasons. And... You know, it, it, it's just such a shame, isn't it? And mm. life is life is precious. I think, you know, I I know how precious this is. My my father died when I was nine, and 
every day I think about him and every day I think, gosh, I'm so pleased that I saw him and I loved him and I remember him. And, you know, we have to do that as we're older. We can't be defined about something we might or might not have because it's our journey to the end is so important. And when we think about longevity, it's staying well. It's keeping well, isn't it? I don't care the age I am when I die, but I want to be as well as I can for as long as I can. Yeah, I I think that's probably kind of at the nub of this. I mean, there's a generation of women who are now menopausal and 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 through through it, sorry, Louise, but you know what I mean, mm. um, who have had the, the the breast cancer narrative. That's mm. I mean, that was really there all my adult life. And, yeah. and you know, it's very difficult mm. to, to shuck that off. Of course it is. And the other thing you say, which angers me, I have to say, and is right, is we don't have reliable data. And that is really infuriating. We absolutely should have reliable, extensive data that we can all take confidence in and everyone kind of agree on, but we don't. Um, and so we've still got like, Jen, I'm 61, recently started taking HRT. I would like to know how long I can safely keep taking it to avoid cancer. Um, and then Tina is the same, 64. Um, I've had my last period at 50, 14 years of searching how to get out of a flatline mood. I can't do HRT because my mother had breast cancer. I do live my life uh, to the full. I'm healthy as I can, but is there a natural remedy out there to help um, to boost her mood? So 14 years of a very low mood, but that fear, which I totally relate to and understand, that to take HRT would heighten your risk of cancer. Which which it actually doesn't. That's what's so frustrating. And I think the other thing is, is that we know from the WHI study, the scary study, that women have a lower risk of bowel cancer, very common cancer. They have a lower risk of dying from breast cancer, regardless of what type of HRT they take. So there's one thing being diagnosed, but there's another thing it causing our demise. Um, we also know that women who had a hysterectomy in the study who only took estrogen had a 22% lower risk of developing breast cancer. So estrogen is the safe bit. It's what I said before. It's this synthetic progestogen that's in the contraceptive pills, that's in older types of HRT that has this very small risk associated with it. Breast cancer is common. It affects around one in seven women. When I was a medical student in the 80s, it affected one in 12 women. In 2000, when the WHI study came out and said about this risk, it was affecting around one in 11 women. It's now one in seven women. So it's far more common that HRT prescribing has fallen off a cliff. It's still half of what it was before um, WHI in the UK and a lot lower globally. So we know that most types of breast cancer are not associated with with taking HRT. We know the commonest risk factor for all cancers is obesity. It's now overtaken smoking. So, and also the majority of women who've had breast cancer die from heart disease and dementia. So we've got to be thinking in a different way about hormones. It's not, they're not chemicals that we're giving ourselves. They're hormones that we were designed to function with. And that's a real difference when people get their head around that. That's all we're doing. So this natural, what can I have that's natural? Well, there's loads of supplements that will have menopause all over their labels it's about $122 billion worth of these supplements are flying around the globe because women are scared away from HRT. If I, if I just for declarations, I don't do any paid work with pharma, I don't endorse any products, but I, every day I get about 20 emails asking me if I could or I would. 
why and what how do you define what natural is there's lots of lovely plants and flowers growing in my garden and around but I want to eat them I don't know how safe they are but they're natural so we've just got to be careful what we're doing whether we take HRT or not it's a personal individualization we need to be looking at our future health we need to be looking at our bone health our heart health our brain health we need to be looking at our food choices. We need to be looking at our exercise. We need to be looking at our mental well-being. And this is so important that we do this in conjunction with whether we take hormones or not. Mm. Can I ask you, so on you go. Can I ask you about testosterone? Because we hear mm. a lot about estrogen and um progesterone. And it seems to be that testosterone, whether it's to help with bone density and osteoporosis, it's not a thing. I mean, I heard you saying that you took it Kathy Lett. Took it. Well, actually, I'm, I'm just looking at uh, an email in from Naomi. If you do, do you want to read that yeah. email from Naomi? And Naomi says, without testosterone, how can I get through the menopause without any secretive stroke, zero interest in sex? I'm in, oh, she's in Michigan, in the USA, and the doctors don't consider testosterone a need. Still think ladies have the need for two hormones, uh, which I had to fight uh, for five years to get. So is it just not available or is it expensive or what's the score? So testosterone is another hormone. It's actually the most biologically active hormone that we have as women. And when we're younger, we produce more testosterone than estrogen and the levels decline with age. So it's not really so much a menopausal thing. It's often an age thing, but our t ovaries do produce a lot of our testosterone. So if someone has their ovaries removed when they're young, they'll lose more testosterone than they would have done otherwise. We have cells that respond to testosterone all over our bodies, in our brains, in our bones, in our heart system, in our muscles and joints, in our skin, for example. And so we know that testosterone can have some benefits. Most of the studies in testosterone have been done about libido because, I don't know, because that's what people think about when they think about women maybe. But we know from studies that libido can improve with testosterone. So the NICE menopause guidance from seven years ago say that women can be considered for testosterone if they have reduced sexual desire despite taking HRT. So for the last seven years in my clinic, I have been giving HRT for women who have reduced sexual desire despite taking HRT. We've also found, as have others in other clinics, that women who take testosterone find that their mood, energy, concentration, stamina improves. Um, and that's no surprise when you look at the number of testosterone receptors we have in our brains. Um, and our testosterone can help work as a neurotransmitter, so a chemical that sends a message from one part of the brain to another. And it can help improve um, and work with um, serotonin, our happiness hormone, a dopamine our, in our reward center can help with other hormones as well. And um, the problem with testosterone is that it's not licensed for women. We have male testosterone. Of course, the word testosterone is derived from testes because it's produced from the testes in men. It's the same hormone as male, but we produce it in a lot lower doses um, or a lot lower quantities. So we can prescribe testosterone for women, but in the NHS, it has to be the male labeled testosterone in lower doses. Or there's a female testosterone that is regulated and it's licensed in Australia that we can prescribe privately. And it costs about a pound a day. So when you buy a tube, it's expensive. It's about 100, 100, 120 quid, but it lasts three months. So it works out a pound a day. It can be transformational for a lot of women. Some women find it makes no difference. We always measure blood tests of people who are on testosterone and make sure they're just in a female range. 
So I don't see bearded women coming to my clinic. I don't see women with side effects. It's just giving back what's what's missing. The problem is, is that a lot of GPs don't prescribe it and there's no nothing to encourage them to prescribe it or have any training. Some GPs aren't allowed to because it's not on their formulary and they're being told they have to refer women to a gynecologist. Well, gynecology services are flooded and overloaded and a lot of gynecologists are not trained as menopause specialists. So women are just caught in the middle of this dark place often where they're not having testosterone and in our clinic, we find that mental health improvements are more significant than libido improvements. So the anxiety, the low mood, we see a lot of people with very crippling anxiety, very dark thoughts. And we know it's not due to a psychiatric illness because these women are already under psychiatrists and they've had several antidepressants. They've sometimes had antipsychotics. I spoke to a lady last weekend who'd had nine rounds of ACT. None of them had helped. And then they give them, she had... HRT with testosterone, and she stopped all these other horrendous medications. So, you know, it's an important hormone for us. Again, not enough research. We've just put in a, a grant to try and uh, work with, with um, to work with Cardiff Clinical Trials Unit to try and get some proper research going on. Because until we've got proper research, there'll be this pushback. Even our data people are saying, oh, it's placebo. I don't think women are that stupid that they would pay money to come to my private mm-hmm. clinic to buy a placebo. You know, it, it's just women are not that stupid. And actually, there's a there's a pathophysiological reason why testosterone is helping. And we have testosterone receptors in our in our vulva, in our vagina, around our clitoris, as well as estrogen receptors. So a lot of people find that using there's a pessary which contains DHEA, which converts to estrogen and testosterone, can be very effective as well as having systemic testosterone. So we can't deny a hormone just because it's not available or the regulatory bodies don't want women to have it. Well, also what's interesting is that, you know, uh, women are kind of the same the world over, aren't they? But the UK has got one approach. Australia's got another approach. Uh, America has got another approach. Other, you know, European countries or all over the world will have another approach. Um, So it, it kind of suggests that there are like political with a small p decisions being taken rather than purely um, health related. Yes, and I think some of it is the um, is the worry about the enormity of the problem. You know, there's 14 million menopausal women or so in the UK. There's 1.2 billion of us worldwide. Short term, you think, right, a pound a day for all these women. Oh my goodness, that's a lot of money. But they're not looking at, actually, what about the number of women who will be able to not just go back to work, but be promoted at work or work full time or not take time off sick? You know, the figures of sickness are horrendous. You know, when you look at the billions of pounds that's spent in the UK on sick leave and it's longer term sick leave. Also, we know that 40% of the NHS employees are menopausal women. We know around 10% of women give up their jobs because of poor memory, anxiety, tiredness. If testosterone and HRT improve even a small proportion of these women, then actually that's going to make a huge difference for our workforce and our economy. I mean, I'm looking at the list of, of symptoms that, you know, some of our listeners have got in touch about. Sylvia, it's about how to get the sex groove back and also lose a, a bit of weight. Um, Susan's worried about uh, hair loss. 
She says that the lack of or excess of testosterone caused hair loss. I was on it and I felt I was having male pattern hair loss, which wasn't great. Gone off it for three months, just had blood tests to check my levels, awaiting the results, but I'm worried about going back on in case that is what caused my hair loss. Hair thinning is a, is a really distressing mm-hmm. uh, thing, isn't it? Helen is worried about itching. Leslie is worried about um, stiffness. Um, you know, all of these different symptoms what is it about the menopause that causes all of those? Well, it's because our hormones, mainly estrogen and testosterone, work all over our body. So they work in every single cell in our body. Um, And we're all different. So some people have more symptoms than others or different symptoms. But, you you know, if you look, there are are lists as long as your arm of symptoms. And some websites will say there's 54 symptoms or 86. Every day I'm learning about new symptoms from patients. Um, And it's just because these hormones work all over our body and have different different effects. Um, So, for example, if women have dry eyes, it's because um, the, the estrogen and testosterone can help provide lubrication to our eyes and our mouth. So dry mouth is very common. Change in smell, change in taste, again, very, very common. Skin changes that you mentioned with the itching that can occur, the dry skin. It's just because this lack of hormones has an effect. They have biological effects in our bodies. The, maybe just to answer that question um, from Susan about hair loss. Mm a lack or excess of testosterone causing hair loss. She said she was on it and she felt that it was making the hair loss worse. Yeah, so it's very interesting actually. So estrogen can really help with hair growth and testosterone actually can too at the right doses. Again, we haven't got good studies about testosterone. Some women are very scared about hair loss, but it can occur commonly for other reasons. And sometimes it can be genetic reasons. Sometimes it can be due to an iron deficiency or there can be some autoimmune conditions that can be associated with hair loss. Um, So any changes that we do can take about three months to affect our hair, either in a good way or a bad way. So I've seen some women who said, I've taken testosterone for a week and my hair's become thinner, but it won't be the testosterone. It'd be something that happened three months before. Um, And we also, when we give testosterone, the dose is very low. So we're just topping up what's missing. So it's very unusual to have a dose that's too high that's going to adversely affect hair growth. Um, so we, it's really important we don't just blame testosterone for, for hair loss. There are lots of other reasons. We work very closely with a dermatologist who will review and often find other causes for hair changes. Hmm. We should we should probably wind up, Louise. But the one thing that I did want to speak to you about before we we go, and you know, vaginal dryness, as you say, is kind of the new sort of top symptom. Um, moving on from flushes that people are talking about, and obviously, usually related to to sex, which is very important. You know, for for women who still want to enjoy, you know, their sex lives. But let's also talk about it in terms of vaginal health, mm. rather than just um, for sexual purposes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, our vagina has many roles and not all of it is about sex, of course. And that's what everyone thinks about. You know, I've already said about testosterone and sex and actually some uh, regulatory bodies are now saying that we can only give testosterone if women are severely psychologically distressed with their reduced libido, which I think is a horrendous thing to assess as a healthcare professional before we give treatment. But if we think about our vaginas, we need them, sorry to be so crude, but we need them to stretch. We need the tissues around to stretch. So when we walk, when we run, when we sit down, 
it needs to stretch with us. So what happens is we've already said there are skin changes, but also the vulva, the the, the vagina, the, all the surrounding tissues can become thinner without hormones. It can become thinner, but also they can become less stretchy as well. And then they have less lubrication too. So you can imagine if those tissues become like that, just trying to walk or just running can be really quite uncomfortable and painful. And I've seen a lot of women who's that skin, that area around actually breaks down. It can actually, lots of paper cuts almost on it. You can imagine very, very uncomfortable. But also sitting down can be uncomfortable. I see a lot of patients who don't wear underclothes anymore because that just constant friction in that very delicate area can be really awful. But we've got estrogen and testosterone receptors on our urinary tract as well and our pelvic floor muscles. So it's not just this this discomfort, this burning, this irritation, this itchiness in the vulva and the vagina. It can be urinary symptoms that are very common. Lots of women don't talk about how they they leak when they cough and sneeze or they can't hold urine for very long or they're getting up in the nighttime. And we know around 80% of women who are menopausal have symptoms related to either the vagina, uh, the vulva vaginal sort of dryness or urinary symptoms. We call it GSM, genital urinary syndrome of the menopause. So we know about 80% of women have symptoms, yet some studies show as little as 8% have treatment. So that means the vast majority of women who are menopausal are having these symptoms. And we know that this irritation, this discomfort is horrible. But we also know that urosepsis, so sepsis due to urinary tract infection, is far more common in women. We see recurrent urinary tract infections, very common in women. Yet these women are not being considered for vaginal hormone treatment, which is different to HRT because it's just a little pessary or a little vaginal tablet or there's a vaginal ring or gel or cream that's inserted in the vagina regularly. And it just replaces what's missing locally so it's very safe for women who've had breast cancer for example because it doesn't get in around the body and the dose is very very low so it could be transformational as a gp i used to treat a lot of women with dementia who were just up in the night because they're itching and scratching their vulva or they're going get falling out of bed every time they need a wee and waking up their partner give them some vaginal estrogen they improve, their mood improves their memory improves and their partners improve as well because they're managing to sleep through the night very simple, low-cost treatment. Yeah, I, I, I do think that one is, is very important, you know, like kind of having, um, you know, been with my mum through the latter stages of her life and seeing, yeah. you know, other women around her, if she was in a hospital or or wherever, and clearly discomfort around the vaginal area. And, you know, it was kind of, I can remember being very aware of it being dismissed as some kind of old lady mm. thing, almost, I'm not saying that anyone was laughing at them, but, you know, it was it's just part of, do you know, it, it was it accepted as part of life, is it? Or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, almost sort of, sn- I'm trying to think of the right word. What is the right word? Just disregarded, you know, uh-huh. just just disregarded. And, you know, it's it was upsetting. Well, listen, Louise, thank you so yeah. much for your time. Uh, I know you. people will have found that really, really informative. It certainly made me, me think, um, you know, and just to say, you, you're all about choice. And I think that mm. is the interesting thing here, because to be honest, I was a little bit nervous because I'm not in a position to be telling people to go on HRT wholesale. Um, and 
it, it was just about giving people a bit of context, a bit of information. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, the clear message that you're given is that women should be informed. Mm-hmm. They should have the space to think about it and they should have the ability to have that choice and to make up their own mind. And, and Absolutely. I think, you know, uh, if anyone's going to disagree with that, we're all in trouble, aren't we? Right. Don't don't disagree with a menopausal woman. That's the other advice I would give. <laughs> no jokes, please. No jokes. <laughs> we wouldn't dare. Thanks for all your email questions. I hope you found that interesting. If there are any other subjects you'd like us to get into, please do get in touch. Podcast at htb60.com is the address. It's just me and Kinky Karen next week. We'll be catching up on our holidays. Uh, She's been off to another sex festival in Italy with her sister Aggie. She'll deny it, of course, and come up with some story about doing the West Highland Way in a camper van with the dog. But we know the truth. And I'll get it out of her next week.